You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more... getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. And welcome to another episode of the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because if the election refuses to end, so do we. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the jolly old sheriff of Nottingham. I couldn't get that out without stumbling on a word. Benedict, what's your favorite form of potato? Ooh, a good question. Um, Particularly okay. because we are, as we record this and as it'll be released... Uh, well, it'll be released the day before uh, Thanksgiving for most people, except for patrons who get it a day early. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, the mashed the mashed form of potato, I think a lot of people enjoy, but I don't think many people would say it's their favorite, I right? think a lot of people would demand a mash for a Thanksgiving situation, though. Oh, yeah. for it, it, It's just part of that cultural... Um, yeah. You have to have mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. So I, I love a mash, but I think it's it's very easy to do mash badly. You know, mm-hmm. you can be lumpy, it can be too cold if you put cream in it or whatever, or you can get the butter ratio wrong. Or See, the and I, I'm ratio of the wrong. opposite opinion where it's almost impossible to fuck up mashed potatoes. Oh, really? No, I think it's, I think it's easy. <laughs> it's too. literally the easiest thing to make. Boil potatoes, mash, add what you're going to add. But you can Done. overcook them. They can be too starchy. I think it is. I, I, okay. You can always make mashed potatoes, right? That you mm-hmm. At the end, you will always have mashed potatoes. But whether they're good or not, I think is quite a fine art. Whereas I think something like a roast potato is always good. Like, it's literally chop them up, stick them in the oven with some oil. At some point, unless you undercook them horribly, you will have roast potatoes and they will be pretty good. Because <laughs> it's like spiced oil potatoes. So and See, I'm, I'm, I think where we may differ on this is that I'm, my potato, my mashed potato game is the mix. Yeah, you okay. mix in other things on the plate with the potato. So it's more about adding that creaminess to like, you know, you got gravy on the plate or yeah, something. You got yeah, all kinds yeah. of stuff No, I there. get you. I, but, but I mean, are we thinking, I'm thinking about the, the isolated potato here. Mm. So if you had to eat the <laughs> You're potato. You're one of those weirdos I'm a who just sits there eating a spoonful of mashed potatoes. Yeah, I'm a potato purist. <laughs> just eating I'm... bowl after bowl of mashed potatoes in your apartment alone. I get you. I know you as a this, person. This thought experiment, I'm a potato purist for it. So I'm thinking about <laughs> if I had to eat the potato on its own. And I think what I would do, and it's I, there are two contenders. So the basic, your basic roast potato with like a mm-hmm. salt, olive oil, black pepper, and rosemary, maybe some Italian seasoning, or the other option, which is again really good, uh, like a twice baked potato with like Ooh, a layer yeah. of, layer of bacon and then cheesy mash stuff back into because oh, then yeah. you get the goodness of the cheesy mash, but also a layer of bacon and the crispy potato skin, and that's more work, but I think it might be the best. All about. I got to go with hash browns. That's got to oh, be my favorite. I'm a hash brown. I'm Outside hash brown shout man. for gnocchi too. 
Mmm. Oh, yeah. Love it. Love it. Anyways, uh, this is the show where we read the worst books we can find from right-wing non, in heavy air quotes, fiction, uh, and review <laughs> them for your pleasure so we can learn a little bit more about what's going on over there on the other side of the universe from us i personally i'm just gonna i'm never gonna write a script for that portion for no, myself just like, i'm just oh, gonna stumble this? through it with new <laughs> new allegories and new metaphors every time and figure out what comes to the first of my mind i cannot wait for like in a couple of years time when we review the sydney powell book whatever that is gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a whole thing Oh, you know there's going to be one. You absolutely oh, yeah, no, do. I know. I'm not Because kidding. the only reason Sidney Powell is doing this and going on TV on Fox News every day is to eventually get those book deals and to go before the Federalist Society and give speeches and get paid for it. That's the only fucking reason. The absolute only fucking reason. <laughs> oh, but you may notice Benedict is not sounding so well today. We had a little bit of a technical glitch uh, before we got started. So Benedict is recording through the computer microphone. It's actually my headphone microphone, Whatever. which is slightly better than the computer microphone. Fine. But we decided we're going to power through uh, and get the episode done anyways. We want to give anyways. the people their Thanksgiving content. Look, we give know you're going to your, to your right-wing families for Thanksgiving. We <laughs> want to arm you with arguments. If you want to have the arguments, we're not telling you you should have the arguments. But if you want to, you can just quote me. Okay? That's the, that's the deal. Well, Benedict, uh, do you have a hot take for us this week? I do, and it's a book-related hot take, and mm. it, it comes from my anger at having to read this book. Uh, yes. It's that if you're dividing your book into chapters, none of them should be longer than 20 pages. <laughs> if you can't make your argument in 20 pages, you shouldn't do it. General make it two rule, chapters. Yeah. But we do find in a lot of these books, right, and it's not something that's just endemic to right-wing authors, right, but a lot of the pages, the page numbers for chapters vary widely. Like, yeah. we've gotten pages that are, you know, chapters that are six pages long, up to now this chapter, almost 30 pages. But, yeah, the standard should be around 20 pages. And I, I am at least thankful to Ben Shapiro. He that does. All he, keeps a, he keeps right a solid 20-page chapter. Because there, there must be some thought about, like, the human attention span. And I'm mm -hmm. sorry, but legal writing... Maybe the limit's 15 pages, because legal oh, writing is so boring. You're assuming this is legal writing? No, but if you're <laughs> writing about the law, it should be 15 pages maximum. My friend, allow me to introduce you to law review articles, which usually go on 60-plus pages. Well, they should divide those into subchapters, and there should be no more than uh, 15 do. pages. They do, yeah. Uh, yes, I like that. That's good. That's good. Uh, this week, uh, my hot take... Um, Respect the little things. Have okay. have joy for the little things, you know? Uh, when you get uh, a bag of Sour Patch Kids watermelon, you're enjoying them. Maybe you get a, a nice, you get up in the morning, you get a good cup of coffee, or maybe, uh, like now, you have a convenient excuse not to go to your parents for the holidays. Take the, the little things. Just enjoy the little things. And obviously, I'm not going to, to my parents for Thanksgiving and probably not for Christmas either uh, because, you know, our cases are spiking right now ridiculously uh, all across the country, even here in D.C., where we've been we've been pretty good about everything. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, it's, you have a very convenient excuse not to. And, and this comes off a, a conversation with, let's say, other relatives uh, <laughs> who were who were talking about, let, let's just say, for example, my parents um, going to Mexico right oh, before no. Thanksgiving and inviting great. other people to Thanksgiving dinner, which which seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, so be glad for those little things. I know a lot of us enjoy Thanksgiving. A lot of us also don't. 
Um, and so, so use, use your excuses widely, is what I'll yeah. say. There has never been a better excuse not to have to fight with your family over a holiday. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. So, Benedict, what's on your bookshelf this week, my man? Uh, this week it Sheriff is... Sheriff of Nottingham. That's me. The Fountains of Silence by Ruta Sapatis. He was the good guy, right? The sheriff was the good guy? No, he was the bad guy. Pretty sure Ben Shapiro tweeted it, the sheriff was the good guy. No. Well, yeah, probably. That would make sense. (laughs) Um, Robin Hood was the good guy. Uh, So The Fountains of Silence by Ruta Sapatis. It's a book about the... uh, It's a historical fiction about the Franco dictatorship. And it's about an American, young American photojournalist who's trying to make it. Are we speaking of Generalissimo Francisco Franco? Who is still dead. Ah, I was going to ask you how he's doing. <laughs> he is still dead. Yes, it's Generalissimo Francisco Franco. Um, I, it's always really funny when like really short dudes give themselves the superlatives. He, I think he was like five <laughs> foot six and he was like the, the most high general Francisco Franco. He was not high in any way. He was very close <laughs> to the ground. Um, but it's good. Oh, it's, they it's, do it a lot too, right? The Kim family. Hitler yeah. wasn't all that tall. I don't know how tall... Um, uh, um, Mussolini was, but I can't imagine didn't he was that a, tall. a super. Yeah, didn't look tall in all the all the old video footage. Short man syndrome, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, but it's about. So I don't know how much you know about the Franco regime, but they they spent a good amount of time stealing babies from their enemies and then giving them to people that couldn't have children from within the regime and outside the regime. Mm. So it's Seems about that. Seems bad. They did a lot of baby stealing, and they never really had to account for it. Um, I got to say, in in the history of humanity, it's usually not the baby stealers who are praised at the end. No, no, that's the the history is not written by the baby stealers (laughs) normally, (laughs) although sometimes it is, I guess. But yeah, anyway, what about you? What's on your bookshelf? My bookshelf this week, uh, we've established that uh, traditional video games, when you purchase them in that, that plastic packaging, can sit on a bookshelf. Uh, so okay. this week on my bookshelf is is a video game. It's uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. It's the follow-up to the 2018, I think, game, uh, Spider-Man. Um, I got the opportunity to play it recently, and it is delightful. Uh, if you're as huge of a fan of Spider-Man as I am, uh, and like to like to game from time to time, check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely a lot shorter than the, the original Spider-Man game from a couple years ago. But the story's good. The graphics are good. It's a fun game to play. I definitely recommend it if you want to check out for a couple hours from all the social medias uh, and just do anything else. Which... Is it the it's the Into the Spider Verse? Yes, that... Miles Morales yeah. is, is the main character from Spider Verse, and in uh, Marvel canon, if you will, uh, he's originally created in the Ultimate Universe, the Marvel Ultimate Universe, which was a separate universe that eventually collided with the the mainline uh, Marvel Universe, and now he exists alongside. Uh, all the other characters in the the mainline Marvel universe, including Peter Parker, the original Spider-Man. So yeah, okay, yep, lots of fun, lots cool. of fun. Sounds good. That's it uh, for the intro stuff about housekeeping. The usual, uh, rate and review us on iTunes, people. You know where to go. Uh, or any other platform doesn't have to just be on iTunes. Yeah, drop that five stars wherever you can. Follow us on the socials. Look, at we NYGBC understand it pod. might be four. It might be four stars. We get that. But if it's three <laughs> stars or less, keep it to yourself. Mega four point five stars. Four point yeah. five stars. Give me that much at least. Uh, follow us on the social medias at NYGBC Pod. Share uh, share the show. You know, help us pick up some new listeners. Uh, we love seeing new listeners. You know, our, our numbers climb slowly and steadily, and I love seeing it all the time. It's great to see all you new people, new listeners out there enjoying the show. 
But with that out of the way, we return to our book review of The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett, the only man in America who's a fan of Lenny Dykstra's post-baseball career. Benedict did not laugh because that joke went completely... Lenny Dykstra was a baseball player in the 80s and early 90s who went batshit insane, was a major coke addict, ended up losing all of his money. Oh. Just just bad. Just bad stuff. Bad stuff. Anyways, Benedict, I love that I have to explain the joke to you. Uh, (laughs) What did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this read we read... This week we read chapter nine, Flynn's firing, Sessions' recusal, and the canning of Comey, in which we gloss over what is a magnificent magnificent sequel to Burn After Reading. Uh, With less dildo chairs, yeah. Less, Uh, well... (laughs) Cannot verify. Is Michael Uh, Flynn technically a dildo chair? I I don't know. Is it Sessions or Sessions is? That's another thing I have to call oh, you to task for good there. Because it's Sessions apostrophe, apostrophe right, for the, the plural, <coughs> or the possessive, rather. Is it Sessions or Sessions is? Oh, I think that's I a no grammatical idea. mistake anyway. I would do a Sessions is there anyway. I have no idea, to be honest okay. with you. But Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title for I us? do, and it is, magnificently, I tried really hard to find alliteration for Sessions, but my vocabulary was too limited. It took me all of one minute. Sessinger's sedition. Sessinger's snow job. Sessinger's short-sightedness. It's super easy. It is. Which yeah. is why one of my alternate chapter titles this week is just, Who Tore the S Pages Out of My Thesaurus? Thesaurus. <laughs> I see. I should have done Thesaurus. Yeah, I definitely should have done Thesaurus. Yeah, Thesaurus. You have to end on a TH as well. <laughs> That's Latin, right? They didn't have the S, right? Yeah, they just that's did the. Right. Uh, and my other one, uh, Flynn's firing, fuck Sessions and Comey. Uh, because he's going to spend 20 some pages of this chapter just talking about Flynn, and at the end, remember that he put Sessions and Comey into the title of the chapter. Yeah, you know, I did that for my master's thesis, and I got significantly downgraded for it. I was like, this is about the, the chronicles and the poetry of medieval Spain. And I got to the end and was like, fuck, I have a thousand words to talk about all the poetry of medieval Spain. <laughs> I didn't talk about Spain at all. What the fuck? God damn it. Yeah, no, that wasn't great. But I still passed, so it's fine. Good to know. Good to know. But so we start this chapter off, as we always do, with a quote that has nothing at all to do yep. with the chapter. That is... The quote he put in this time is from Jeremy Bentham, the British philosopher. And it is, quote, It is never the law itself that is in the wrong. It is always some wicked interpreter of the law that has corrupted and abused it. And I would say to that, bullshit. Yeah, that is fundamental. There are true, many, Jeremy many Bentham. times... <laughs> When we have had the law that is actually wrong. We banned the Chinese from coming to the United States yes, for a number of years. And we wrote that in a law, people. Yeah. Also, people do corrupt and interpret laws wrongly as well, especially when there's a constitution and you're like, how does this apply to big tech? And you're like, I don't know, sure. make it up. Sure. And I'm, I'm sure that Bentham went on to maybe have some sort of natural law interpretation, something, but I don't think that's what... Uh, what uh, Jarrett's putting in here. I don't yeah. think that's why Jarrett chose the quote. No, and we should say we're going to skip over a lot of this because it's very, very, very dull. Yeah, 30 but... pages of nothing. Yeah, exactly. And it, he doesn't even really talk about the best bit, which is what I referenced in my in my summary of it, which is that Michael Flynn was involved in the plot to kidnap Fatima Gulen, which yeah. 
<laughs> is it Fatima? I forget. It's not Fatima, is it? It's something, something similar. But well, to Gulen. be fair, there is a point in this chapter where he puts in a little tiny footnote where it says some people speculate that they had sessions that they had Flynn for other crimes, and that may be why he pled guilty to reduce his sentence yeah. on the one big like being offered fifteen million by Erdogan to kidnap a yeah. Turkish cleric. Yeah. So if we pull a Jarrett and just make whatever assumptions we like and assume that they're true, then yes, it was absolutely that that he was talking about. <laughs> very good. The snowball of inferences plays very That's strongly good. in this chapter. Very, yeah, very good. strongly. Because, And I should, I never really have, but I think I, I came up with a good uh, definition for the snowball of inferences. Okay. And basically, it's when you make, and I, I may have talked about this in the previous uh, reviews, right, the ones from way back uh, that you all have heard by now, but I, I don't know and I don't remember. I edited them all, but I don't remember uh, as I was going through hearing myself You don't listen when you're editing. About. It's very hard to listen while I'm editing because yeah. basically I'm listening for things like, uh, you know, long pauses that I can get rid of to make us sound smarter and snappier mm. and, uh, you know, things that the microphone picks up that I want to get rid of that, you oh, know, my up, like something in the background. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that is what I'm trying to get. But basically the snowball of inferences is when Jarrett or any writer, this is, is pretty common, makes a bunch of if statements. Right. So if this, if this, if this, and at the end, assumes they're all true, never recognizes that he has assumed they are all true and then proceeds as though he has proven that point. Yeah, that is it's the a, snowball. of it's a, it's a bunch of if then clauses without the thens. Right. Right. So we start off this chapter with basically just a recap of the early days of the Trump presidency, particularly as applies to Mike Flynn. Which is hilarious, by the way, because what actually happened, and there's a really good piece on this, well, not piece, it's a short book by uh, Michael Lewis, who wrote The Big Short, um, called The Fifth Risk. And it, it talks about how Trump just like didn't know that he needed a transition team, and then <laughs> ultimately went on to fire his whole transition team as soon as they took office, basically. So yeah, they didn't did he have... no prep <laughs> at didn't... all. Yeah, 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 I do remember that. Didn't he have um, uh, Chris Christie on it and end up firing him like a, yeah. a couple weeks in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, Chris Christie had to go to him and be like, you are legally required to have a transition team. And then he was like basically seeing how he, he accused Chris Christie of stealing money from him because the transition team was taking money that Trump thought should be going to him and all kinds of, you know, exactly what you'd expect. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it is a legal requirement to have a transition team. And they did try to warn against hiring Michael Flynn because they were like, uh, people might have dirt on Michael Flynn because he's not a super stand-up dude. And then Trump was like, he is my friend and also loves me. So give him the, what, what was he, the national security advisor? Yes, he was position. the national security advisor. Yeah. So he recognizes, Jarrett recognizes early on in this chapter that Trump made some bad decisions. In also that, that nobody wanted to work in the Trump administration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where he says, quote, President Trump made some choices that, in retrospect, proved unwise or ill-advised. The selection of retired General Michael Flynn to serve as National Security Advisor and Senator Jeff Sessions to be Attorney General presented problems for the new president both before and immediately after he was sworn into office. I would say that is a drastic understatement of what actually came yeah. from those decisions. 
I like that Trump could not have anticipated mistakes would embroil his administration in controversies that would haunt his first year in office. And yes, you could. That's called a background check. Are we talking just the first year or all four years? Yeah, Let's be honest here. Well, Michael Flynn's like a full QAnon dude now, right? That's oh, funny. yeah. After the, uh, when all the shit went down with Flynn, and right, this book was written before all the shit went down with Flynn and the attempt by the, the Justice Department to um, withdraw and all that kind of stuff. So this book doesn't have any of that in it. Uh, but when that happened and Flynn was hoping that he would get a pardon, this, that, and the other, there was this weird Twitter video, or it might have been Facebook that just got posted to Twitter, but I saw it on Twitter, of his family taking the Q oath outside of his house, like, late at night. It was dark outside, and they were all doing this weird fucking oath that ended with the WWGA, whatever the fuck it is, where we go one, we go all, um, that sort of shit. Really fucking weird. I mean, that's just goddamn insane. Yeah. But also goes to prove that Flynn is a fucking lunatic who we should not suspect the best from in any circumstances. No, no. And if there's one thing I've learned from this administration is that you cannot expect, accept, expect the best of anyone. Like people who previously had good rep- reputations, like, well, I don't know, Bill Barr, Mike Pompeo, who like, you know, people get like criticized, but are like, oh, they're a stand-up Republican dude. Like given the chance, they will try and do a fucking coup. Like, I, I think honestly, they only have those reputations because Bill Barr has a history of being a shitbag, right? Yeah, and no, I agree. I agree. AG the first time around, he did a bunch of shady shit. Um, but like the reason why those still stand that reputation of being a good Republican is because that's the kind of shit the Republicans would say because they had to, you know, burn those who they could when they, when they had to blame someone for all the problems. And then they kept these guys around and nobody ever challenged that because we lived in an age where you just, we didn't have all the shit throwing we have now. We didn't have the insanity we have now. And so we never challenged those things really. Yeah, I do think people probably have got worse as well, though, because, like, Rudy Giuliani wasn't always this way, right? Like, he was, (sighs) I mean, he did things that were like this, but it wasn't his whole personality. Like, he knew when to stop, normally. Yeah, I mean, he didn't say all the insane shit. He's still, again, he was a shitbag, right? He's the stop and frisk guy. He's the fucking, he's a fucking nightmare of a human being. He also basically led a police riot against the previous mayor. Um, so yeah, I mean, he has done shit, but it wasn't like his whole center of being, but whatever. Sure. So we get in the first couple pages of this chapter, just a basic overview of what happened with Flynn. And again, it's very much stilted in Flynn's favor where he leaves some things out, doesn't give the full context of everything. But if you don't remember the Mike Flynn story, basically what happened was in addition to what we talked about in the last chapter, maybe it was two chapters ago, um, where Flynn and Jared Kushner, had phone calls with Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, mm. attempting to get that private line uh, through the Russian embassy to talk to him about shit. Kis- uh, Mike Pence also had, or not Mike Pence, uh, Mike Flynn also had other contact with Kislyak. And the most mm. important of those was the day that President Obama announced sanctions against Russia for their meddling in the 2016 election. Yeah, And when that happened, Mike Flynn was told by Kush to reach out to Kislyak and tell them not to do anything in response, basically because, you know, it'll be all be, it'll all be better when Trump yeah, is in office, again, right? Yeah. Which we know, of course, <laughs> there's, there's some major issues there, which, which Jarrett doesn't want to talk about at all. 
My favorite bit of this this first couple pages is when we just like turn to Jeff Sessions between two Flynn paragraphs for some reason. <laughs> between then... two Flynns. Oh, it's the new show. The new show coming from. Uh, oh fuck, what's his name? I can't remember Zach his name. Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis. Between two Flynns. I want to see someone just uh, just Photoshop that in where it's two Michael Flynns on either side of Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> now, yeah. But he says Jeff Sessions' difficulties arose from an omission of fact rather than the commission of any wrongful act. Which, like, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Those can be the same thing. Like, the, the, omission, the deliberate omission of fact under oath is the commission of a wrongful act, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but that seems like perjury. You are correct, my friend. <laughs> but so to continue on with the, the Flynn story, right? Beyond just that conversation, what happened next was the FBI was concerned because they had been, uh, they had lawful wiretaps on individuals who had contact with Russia and other nations that they were concerned about. You mean about. Obamagate? Yes, Obamagate. They had these lawful wiretaps. <laughs> Didn't Sally Yates run to... She, she, she warned the Trump administration, right? Yes, Obama warned everyone. They warned the Trump administration, you don't want Mike Flynn, there are issues here, right? And they still took Mike Flynn anyways. Yep. Uh, but so anyways, with Mike Flynn, they then opened an investigation into Mike Flynn and sent two FBI agents to speak to him. Now, according to Jarrett, what he's going to say later in this book is that they never allowed him to have a lawyer or he's going to imply heavily that they kept him from having a lawyer. They very clearly asked him if he wanted to have a, a lawyer when they had these two FBI agents go to, to uh, interview him about this. But when they met with him, he denied having met with or spoke with Kislyak about the sanctions issue which was false because they had recordings of the conversation. Now, we don't have recordings of those conversations, but we know because he was charged for lying about it that he very clearly did talk about the sanctions. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's very, it, it, yeah. It's it, very it's, problematic, man. Yeah. Very problematic. And again, not a legal expert, but the fact that it, like, he is like, yes, they did exactly what they accused him of doing is like, that seems like bang to rights. Yeah. So this first subsection we get to is titled Flynn Committed No Crimes. And in this, his whole argument hinges on, well, when Flynn lied to the FBI, did he know he was lying or did he just forget? <laughs> Does that matter legally? I, and I would say, honestly... Uh, again, his whole argument hinges on that. And it does. He is correct when he says that you need to have knowing intent that you're lying um, under the, the law that he was charged with. You do need to have intent. Uh, but I would say to his argument that, you know, the, the and we'll get into this a little bit, but the two FBI agents didn't have any visual cues that he was lying to them uh, is basically, again, another part of his little argument that it comes down to that he wasn't lying on purpose. When you have multiple contacts with the Russian ambassador after they, they had sanctions put against them by Barack Obama, you probably fucking remember that. And yeah. so if you say you don't remember it, you're probably fucking lying on purpose because you know how bad it looks. Look, I've seen a lot of law movies, and I know that when some scumbag says, I do not recall, that person is lying to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so another piece of his, he goes into, again, the story. A lot of this is just the story of what happened and everything in, in these first couple of pages here. And he, uh, this is, again, under the subsection of Flynn did nothing wrong. But he does mention that the Obama White House told the Trump campaign or, or transition team that they should not hire Flynn. They warned yeah. them about Flynn. But he then says after that, quote, if the Obama White House had some genuine misgivings about Flynn, they were not serious enough to end his security clearance, which was renewed in April of 2016. So that's a bullshit nonsense piece of evidence because 
Security clearances before Trump took office basically didn't get taken away unless you committed some serious wrongdoing and had, and they could prove it. Right. Mm. And this is, remember, before the investigation, April 2016, this is before even the election. Yeah. So he's claiming, oh, well, they had misgivings when they warned him. No, they knew he was a shitbag. But the reason why you don't take away people's security clearance is often because they end up going back into government and it's a difficult, long process to get a security clearance. So it's just bullshit to try and take that away from someone when you don't really need to. Yeah. That when you go back into an administration, there are additional checks that are done and things, but you don't want to make someone have to go back through the whole process again. Yeah. Yeah, I like that he spends a couple of pages here, by the way, as a side note, uh, saying how, how difficult Obama was trying to make the transition for the Trump team. I know, it's so ironic in hindsight. <laughs> it's excellent. Jesus Christ. He says, quote, if Obama was doing whatever he could to make it difficult for his successor, and again, this is the snowball of inferences, because immediately before that, he quoted, uh, I believe, an op-ed piece, which had said, it appears from the, the actions that Obama is taking and doing these sanctions, he's trying to make it more difficult on uh, the Trump administration. And I would say there may be some truth to that, in as much as they're trying to make sure that Russia is punished, knowing that Trump won't want to do that, and trying to make it more difficult for Trump to cozy up to the Russians in light of all the meddling in our 2016 the, election. Right, yeah, exactly. And it, 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 yeah, it's basically they're saying that they tried to put Trump in a hard position, which I don't necessarily think, you know, that he would either have to seem soft on Russia or whatever. But I, I don't think that, I don't personally think that's what they were trying to do. But I think they were genuinely acting in the best interests of the country. But right. who's to say? Because I can, again, I can see why you could read it that way. Sure. And again, we know the election meddling happened, and this was the response to it. Uh, they can't get around. Even Jarrett isn't bold enough to claim that the Russian election meddling never happened. So can't get around it on those grounds. We should also, again, just define what we mean by Russian election meddling, because now there's all this talk of like voter fraud, whatever, in the 2020 election. When we say Russian election meddling, we don't mean that Russia literally went in and changed people's votes, right? We, what no. we mean is they tried to influence the public opinion by using some American apparatuses, social media, whatever, and sowing discontent amongst the population, Right. So it's much softer than literally changing people's votes. Right. And I would go a bit farther to say the fucking emails, which we know came from Russia, yeah. right? So, yeah. again, remember last chapter, that shit, uh, that came directly from Russia. We fucking know that. But so they continue, he continues on again with the story of how this all happened which could basically be condensed down to about a page. He does it over five or six pages. Yeah. But he talks about how after the, the sanctions the Obama team put in place, um, Flynn was directed to talk to Moscow and have them not escalate the, the situation, only respond in a reciprocal manner. And again, yes, they were, they were monitoring those calls because they had serious misgivings about Flynn and knew there were issues with him there. And so they had a transcript of that conversation. And he says, quote, Armed with a transcript of it, it being the call between Flynn and Kislyak, and without any legal justification whatsoever, the FBI decided to interview Flynn on January 24, 2017 in Washington, D.C., just four days after Trump was sworn in. I'm going to skip down about a, a, a sentence where he says, next quote, it is unclear what Flynn said to Kislyak because their secretly recorded interaction has never been made public. <laughs> Nor do we know what Flynn told the FBI because that interview has not been made available either. But I am so, going to wildly speculate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
The foundation of the snowball of inferences is not knowing the full facts. When you don't know the full facts, you can operate on an if-then construct all day long and claim if, if, if. Well, obviously we know now. If Flynn didn't lie to the FBI, then he didn't lie to the FBI. Like, okay, (laughs) thanks, Greg. And again, more has come out since this book was released. Not a lot more. We still don't have the transcript of that call or the transcript of the... the, uh, uh, interview with Flynn and the uh, FBI agents, but more has come out that does very clearly indicate um, that he did indeed lie to the FBI on purpose, and, and he was guilty of the crimes he committed. <laughs> and again, tried to kidnap someone, <laughs> which I think did also come out after this book was released. I don't remember when that came out, but that was like, oh shit, yeah, that's a problem. I'm trying to remember when it came. It was in. Uh... No, it was in 2017, so that might have been... Oh, so maybe it was. He just, well, he just never addresses it at all in this book, other than that one footnote that I mentioned earlier, which we'll get to in a page or two, I think. (laughs) So he says next quote, After battling the FBI and Robert Mueller's special counsel team for the better part of a year, Flynn was charged with making a materially false statement to the FBI under a federal criminal statute, 18 U.S.C. 1001, and agreed to plead guilty to a single count. Although Flynn had previously insisted he did nothing wrong and broke no laws, he finally surrendered under the intense emotional strain and monetary pressures. His decision was understandable. And I want to highlight that because it is true that in the case of plea deals in our criminal justice yeah, system, that many, oh, yeah, absolutely, many people plead guilty just because they don't want to keep fighting, they don't have the money. The prosecutor says if you, you sign this plea deal, you'll get a lighter sentence than you would if you try and go through trial and we have to convict you. And that also, is- if if you... So, I mean, in the case of drug things, sometimes things are then proven to be false when other defendants do stuff. And because you pleaded guilty, you can't get off, right? So that there are, like, big drug sweeps where you plead guilty and then they're like, actually, none of that happened and it's true, but you pled guilty, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I will say, in the case of Mike Flynn, he is a tremendously rich individual, or was before all of this started. The lawyers he hired were from Covington and Burling, one of the most expensive law firms on the planet. Okay, you don't need to hire Covington and Burling lawyers. There are plenty of other lawyers you can get who would be nearly as good in a case like this. Perfectly good at negotiating your plea deal for the shit that you almost certainly yes. did. And, and I do understand I his, net that. Worth, his, his net worth has dropped dramatically as this case has gone on and he's had to spend a lot of money on legal fees and other things. But claiming that he faces the same pressures as someone who's living off of Social Security and maybe a part-time job and gets charged with a, a felony uh, theft charge in Brooklyn... They're not remotely the fucking same. No. Didn't they? I, th- I thought that the reason he said he pled guilty was because they had stuff on his son. There were reports that that was the case. And he says that on the next page where he says, yeah. quote, there were also reports that Flynn felt Mueller, who was scrutinizing every aspect of the general's life, might take legal action against his son, who had worked in his consulting firm and was also being targeted by the special counsel, which he follows by the if true. Uh, again, there's another one of those if statements. Yep. But... Again, those are reports, and if his son committed fucking crimes, that's a fucking problem, right? Yeah. Because he was working for Michael Flynn's consulting firm, which, again, <laughs> may implicate Flynn himself in those yeah. crimes. Yeah. Yeah, so, in, in summary, plea deals are bullshit. Um, plea deals are reasons. bullshit. 
plea deals are reasons. absolutely plea deals are bullshit. Uh, go watch the fucking Khalif Browder story, man. Fucking yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Also read Jim Crow, oh, the the new Jim Crow, and absolutely. all of that. Thirteenth, all of these things. But he continues on. It is a shame that Flynn never had his day in court. He would likely have won the case against him for several reasons. And I would say, again, this book was published before all the stuff with Flynn getting many, many, many days in court happened. Yeah. <laughs> so it is currently ongoing. Uh, I believe the, that, D- the DOJ dropped charges against him, though, right? Uh, the DOJ, so this is a more complicated story than I think we need to get into, but the DOJ, okay. uh, under uh, appears the direct order of William Barr, tried to drop the charges against him. Mm. But the process had already been gone through. He had already pleaded guilty. And the judge presiding over the case, who he brings up later in this chapter um, in a glowing, more positive light compared to the the judge who initially was on the case and then recused himself, um, that judge refused to accept the dropping of the charges. And I'm not sure the status on it right now. I Googled it last night and read, like skimmed over some stuff, uh, but I didn't get deep into it. It's still ongoing because that judge appealed. um, So there was a decision that went up from that judge to a higher court, and there's an ongoing battle over that, over whether uh, the judge has to drop the charges and drop the case now. So it's unclear. It's unclear as of now what the hell is exactly going on, to me anyways. Someone might know better than me. uh, But again, I didn't do a ton of digging on that much of it because it's not covered in this book, and I I wanted to spend my time on this book in in specific. Um, So... But now he's going to get into his argument for why Flynn would have won this case. And he says, first, under the relevant law, prosecutors must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Flynn, quote, knowingly and willfully falsified a material fact. Again, that is true. That is, he is correctly describing the law. He continues Mm -hmm. that with an if statement. If his recollection of the conversation with Kislyak is inconsistent with the transcript, it is not a crime. Unless it's a deliberate lie. Yeah. I mean... Again, and then another if statement. If Flynn interpreted his discussion differently than the FBI, it is also not a crime. Those are two huge if statements. And again, he does not have the full facts to be able to say those if statements that he's making and are also, correct. And also, even given a generous reading of those, like if Flynn interpreted his discussion as not a crime and the FBI interpreted it <laughs> as a crime, that is a crime. <laughs> yeah. But we get another if statement. If the subject of sanctions was merely a passing reference in any larger conversation about moving forward to establish better American-Russian relations in the new administration, then Flynn's reported inconsistence that he did not recall all the discussion seems more credible, making a legally viable defense. Again, a huge fucking if. But as we move on in this chapter, he's going to accept that if as true, and the snowball of inferences rolls on. Yeah. Second, the second point, the observations and impressions of the FBI agents who interviewed Flynn are not only relevant, but normally dispositive in deciding whether to even bring such a charge. Much depended on Flynn's state of mind during the interview. Thus, the agents who posed questions and listened to his answers become important percipient witnesses to the issue of intent. And then he's going to get on to there were reports in the press that the FBI interviewers who spoke with Flynn didn't have any uh, indications that he was lying in the interview. Which, again, I would say, if the, transcri- if the transcripts, which, again, we don't have access to, and I'm going to make my own if statement here. <laughs> if those transcripts show that it was a long and in-depth discussion about this sanctions issue, it's a pretty clear indication that he lied on purpose because he knew how it looked. Is there any way we could get the transcripts? I mean, or are they deliberately? 
I believe they're de- they're deliberately being withheld. Um, a, I think because they're uh, there's there's a, they're classified uh, for obvious reasons because they're discussing uh, important uh, issues of national security and uh, diplomacy, things like that. Uh, and they're the subject of an ongoing uh, criminal prosecution. So gotcha. it's possible we get them in the future, but we're not going to get them right now. Uh, so not not any time recently or in the in the near future, I don't think. So third. His third, and he goes through the transcript of some of the right he, people from the National Review, the Washington Examiner. He brings up things that they said about this, and he says, "Quote: How is it possible that the FBI and DOJ could determine that Flynn told the truth, which they can, they didn't. They just the people who interviewed him didn't think he was lying. They didn't make a determination that he was telling the truth. Yeah. But allow the special counsel to charge him with lying." More importantly, did they hide critical information from Flynn's lawyers that would have absolved their client of any criminal charge? Again, huge if statement. Yeah. He didn't use the word if there, but did but they? But it's a hypothetical. Is the, yeah. is, yes, the hypothetical. And that's where he puts in that footnote there where he says, alternatively, some have speculated the FBI had evidence of other crimes and Flynn willingly pled down the charge and links to a Washington Post article, which very clearly lays out that they probably had Flynn for other crimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the third reason he says Flynn should never have been charged is directly related to the second reason, according to Jarrett. Quote, The potential testimony of the FBI agents constituted what is known as exculpatory evidence, which is any evidence the government possesses that is favorable to a defendant that would tend to exonerate him of guilt. And then he goes into precedent, what's called Brady evidence, Brady v. Maryland, and cases that came after that, how the prosecution has to turn over any exculpatory evidence, blah, blah, blah. Again, this is all a big if. If they had that, they would have to turn it over. But these three points he's making are the backbone of his argument that Flynn did nothing wrong and is not guilty. But they are all, again, huge ifs. And, but also, presumably, like in order for that to apply, he would have to be charged for Brady to apply, no? Yes, and he was charged. No, but that's he what was... I'm saying. He's saying he should never have been charged because the Brady thing exists. Oh, you're true. Like... <laughs> yeah. That's probably just him not thinking through the subheading of the chapter and okay. then writing that. But yes, I, I get what you mean. But he so, says the third, the third reason Flynn should never have been charged is directly that, that whole. He's just an idiot, is what I'm saying. Yes, Jared's a bad writer, a bad lawyer, and an idiot. I agree. Cool. I 100 percent agree. So next, he gets into the issue of the district court judge who originally presided over the case and then recused himself. So that original judge was Rudolph Contreras, um, who nine days it was like I don't know a couple days after the the case um, began he recused himself from the case and then a new judge took over the case. And this is a tip thing that happens in cases when a judge um, is worried either A, that they may have a conflict, or B, that there will be an appearance of a conflict. And so judges do this because they don't want any, any issues. They don't want anyone questioning the ruling later down the line. Yeah, the integrity of the exactly. case this is, is very important. Typical procedure. This is how it happens. The reason why Jarrett speculates that, because Contreras never said why he recused himself. He just did. And he does re- note that, to be fair. Right. And I, th- I think he may actually be correct as to the reason why Contreras recused himself. But as we're going to get into here, he just absolutely mischaracterizes some of his evidence here and puts out some very, very bad misinformation. So Contreras had a personal relationship with one of the FBI agents involved in the case, Peter Strzok. Oh, you okay. may remember his name from throughout the entirety and of this book. His lover, Lisa Page. Yes. 
and the constant crooning of Fox News. Yeah. So Strzok and Contreras were personal friends. They had a friendship. They got along. Um, and there were uh, later, uh, after the, the, the recusal, uh, text messages between Lisa Page and Peter Strzok that were released, you may recall, again from earlier in this book, and constant Fox News screaming about them, um, where they were talking to each other, and they brought up Contreras. They talked about him. Jared asks, why didn't Contreras recuse himself on his own as ethics rules require? Again, he did. Contreras recused himself. I have no idea what he's trying to say there. I think he's trying to imply that something else happened, but it didn't. It's very clear. Contreras recused himself. That also, isn't this, it, like, isn't this good? Yeah, I mean, that's what you want. <laughs> Contreras should have recused himself, right? I mean, I'm confused at the argument he's making here, but sure. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly what you want to happen. So he says the answer may be found in the text messages themselves. And in one exchange, this is, this is the part of the exchange uh, that, uh, that uh, Jarrett puts in the book. Page exclaims, Rudy is on the FISC. Did you know that? Just appointed two months ago. Struck, Struck replied, I did. We talked about it before and after. I need to get together with him. So that is one, um, one, one thing. And yeah, that is long before any of this case came down. That is July 2016. Yeah. That also, is, seems like you might want to recuse yourself if that comes that, out. Yeah, but also, that is someone talking about his friend getting an assignment on a court. And being yeah, like, hey, true. how cool is this? My friend got this assignment. This is, this is awesome. This is pretty cool. It's a big deal for Rudy, yeah. Yeah, good. Rudy's my friend. He's, it's cool that he did this. Then we get into the ones where Jared is doing some major manipulation. He says, quote, In another audacious text, Strzok states, quote, I'm in charge of espionage for the FBI. Any espionage FISA comes before him. Okay? Dot, That's dot, the entirety. Dot. That dot, dot, dot. That dot, dot, dot there is pretty important. <laughs> Let me give you the full text exchange that they had. So the exchange actually began with a message from Lisa Page, where she said, quote, I can't imagine either of you could talk about anything in detail meaningful enough to warrant recusal, Page said to Strzok in one text. The response to that, Strzok said, Really? Rudy, I'm in charge of espionage for the FBI. Any espionage warrant request that comes before him, what should he do given his friend oversees him? It's very clear from the full exchange that Strzok is concerned that there will be a conflict and that they need to eliminate the conflict. It's not an exciting, I can get my friend to do whatever I want because he's running that court now, as as Jared is trying to portray it as. (laughs) Yeah. I really think... When I'm reading this book, I really think that Jared is not a great thinker, as we've pretty clearly established. There's different types of people in the right-wing um, information sphere, and I think the difference between, especially now that we're reading uh, Ben Shapiro's book as we're doing this one at the same time, there's a very real contrast there, in that Ben Shapiro is one of the people who ideas trickle down from, right? Yeah. Things come from Ben Shapiro and go to other areas in the conservative media sphere, Jared is on the bottom with a funnel in his mouth and everything's getting poured into him because none of this comes from Jared. These are all distortions that were played out in right-wing Twitter and the Facebook and Fox News and all those places and he's just regurgitating them into this book. We haven't heard anything original from Jared throughout this book. No, this is no all you just... never do. We say that every time with these books. They're, I mean, there's nothing. They're, they're just ref- refinements and resurfacings of the same arguments. Yeah. 
But so we. Oh, by the way, I just I got an alert on my phone that Rudy Giuliani released a statement saying Sidney Powell is practicing law on her own. She's not a member for the Trump legal team. She is also not a lawyer for the president in his personal capacity. So uh, that's that's, fun, man. That's fun too. I'm really excited for that Sidney Powell book. But he continues on uh, in this talking about the case that after Contreras recused himself, the case went to District Court Judge Emmett G. Sullivan. And he writes in here, and I'm not going to read much of it because there's nothing much to it, but he writes as though Emmett Sullivan was on Flynn's side, is the way he writes this description about what happened next in the case. And I think, again, it's, it's one of these great things we get to do reading these books that are talking about current events, you know, a year or more later after those Mm -hmm. events happen, knowing now Jarrett wants to hang Emmett Sullivan in the public square. Jarrett despises Emmett Sullivan because he's not taking the DOJ's bullshit. To be fair, libs do that too. Like putting James Comey on a pedestal when he's a not great person. And also Robert Mueller. Like what did you think you were going to get out of Robert Mueller? Like very weird. It's a very weird hero worship thing. Like the people who weren't on your side that you think temporarily are on your side and then you make this huge pedestal for them. And then they turn out to be exactly who you thought they were anyway. I agree that thing happens, but I will, I will make, in the case of Mueller and Comey, I do, and I have made this distinction in the past. I think they fucked up. I think they really fucked up, but I do think they were trying to do the right thing. I think the reason why Comey did his press conferences and stuff is because he wanted to do the right thing and he was concerned, you know, the second press conference, which we're going to talk about in this chapter, when he said they weren't uh, filing any charges or they didn't recommend any charges against mm. Hillary Clinton. I think the reason why he did that was to make up for the earlier fuck-ups, which had damaged Hillary Clinton um, in the presidential election, which he knew would probably he'd probably be blamed for. I think that was likely a case. Yeah. And Robert Mueller, on the other hand, I think didn't go hard enough, which I think is a different form of fuck-up. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think he was trying to do the right thing. And I, I obviously, he's not a perfect person. There's lots of stuff to criticize him for. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, that we lionize these people in ways that they probably don't deserve. It's a good word, lionize. Yes, like yes, it is. It's a $5 word. Uh, but but I, I, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that there are, there are people who are genuinely trying to do the right thing. Whereas when you go and look at what these people are writing about that we read, when they're talking about figures... They think not only are these people doing the right thing, as we would say it, they think these people are working for them. They're working against the deep state and the libs and the Democrats because they're evil, because the Democrats are evil and they want to get them. And they're on our side if they hate them. That's the only way to be on our side is to hate the libs. <laughs> I think there's a difference in, in the way they look at it there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, I, I accept that. So he gives us a fourth reason. A fourth reason that the charge against Flynn should not have been brought. And that is that the FBI did not even have a legal basis to question him because his conversations with Kislyak are not a crime. Mm. And he brings up the Logan Act again, which he talked about in the last chapter. Has and anyone, does, is there, are there other acts that people get wrong more than the Logan Act? I feel like I see people talking about it in vastly disparate ways all the time. I'm sure there are people, there's an, I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I know there are things that just get taken complete. I mean, like, fucking look at the Obamacare death panel thing, right? That shit went around forever, and that was always a complete lie. Um, so there's stuff like that. I can't think of any that's in the way of the Logan Act, where, like, both sides are just getting it wrong constantly. Uh, but there's shit like that, where people are getting it wrong all the time. Yeah. So, 
So, again, he brings up the Logan Act, which he is correct on. Nobody's ever been prosecuted under it. It's probably not constitutional. Courts have said that. But he, what he completely misses here is that they weren't doing it because of a crime. They weren't interviewing him particularly because of a crime. They were doing a counter-espionage investigation, and they were worried that Mike Flynn was compromised. That is a perfectly valid thing for the FBI to investigate, and is, in fact, one of the things the FBI is tasked with investigating. Is whether, yeah. yeah, whether individuals in the U.S. government are compromised. But now we're going to get on to a whole lot more inferences of what was the real motivation behind the Russia investigation, the special prosecutor, all of it. Let's and do it, it. It starts for him with Sally Yates. Of course it does. And I'm sure I've never seen Future Sally Attorney Yates. General Sally Yates, you mean? <laughs> in all likelihood, I mean, it might happen. We'll see how it goes. I don't think so. I think it's going to be no. I don't else. say that. I'm yanking your chain, as it were. Yes, yes. But he says the FBI's motives in interviewing Flynn can be traced to Sally Yates, an Obama holdover who was acting Attorney General until Jeff Sessions could be confirmed by the Senate and sworn into office. And of course, we all remember Sally Yates was eventually fired by Trump uh, when she refused to defend the uh, travel ban. Um, and he, you know, he has some, some words to say about that because he dis she disagreed with the policy, blah, blah, blah. He says with another if statement, if Yates had been acting in good faith, she would have notified the white house counsel that the FBI wanted to speak with Flynn about a matter that involved a potential crime. She did not do so. And neither did the FBI director Comey. Had the White House been aware of this critical information, it would either have rejected the interview outright for lack of legal cause, or otherwise ensured that Flynn was represented by a lawyer during the interview. He was not. It was a seemingly unprincipled maneuver by Yates, but she was far from done. And as I, I said earlier, they did in fact ask him if he wanted to have a lawyer when he was interviewed by the FBI agents, which I can make this very clear to everyone. If you are ever interviewed by police, the FBI, anybody, always have a fucking lawyer. Yeah. Always. Do not talk without a lawyer. I say that not only as a future lawyer. Don't talk to anyone without a lawyer. Be honest. I say that not only as a future lawyer who wants to make those sweet, sweet fees for sitting there and saying don't answer that, but also because it's good fucking advice that everyone should take. Yeah. But again, the fact that she didn't reach out to the White House counsel, that's not proof that she was not acting in good faith. She was, in fact, she told Michael Flynn. She could have assumed that Michael Flynn would have told the White House counsel or that Michael Flynn would have taken it upon himself to inform everyone who needed to be informed on his end because something that the right doesn't seem to understand, and Jarrett certainly doesn't seem to understand, is that the Department of Justice does not work for the president. <laughs> they definitely that's, do not understand that. That is Trump thinks they're his personal lawyers, for well, sure. And that's a huge point that resonated for me throughout this whole chapter, especially as we get into the stuff with Sessions, and he keeps talking about Yates and Comey, and he keeps using words like betrayal, referring to them betraying Donald Trump. It does seem very clear to me that he thinks the DOJ works for Trump directly. Not yeah. just that they're part of the executive branch, but that they work for Trump. Yeah, and Trump definitely think that, thinks that too. Let, Absolutely. make no bones about it. They think, he thinks they're his lawyers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, so we continue, again, it's more of the story. So she told uh, Don McGahn, the White House counsel, that Flynn, who, again, <laughs> later resigned, that uh, Flynn could be vulnerable to blackmail by who, the Russians. by the way, Trump hated for taking notes because real lawyers don't take notes. <laughs> I that know. was McGahn. He was like, Roy Cohn never took notes. Like, yeah, no shit, because he was a mob lawyer. And he didn't Roy want... Cohn was crooked as fuck. <laughs> yeah. 
But, and then one of the other points he gets into is from Sally Yates' uh, congressional testimony, where he just block quotes part of the testimony, which is as follows, quote, We also told the White House counsel that General Flynn had, to be interviewed, had been interviewed by the FBI on February 24th. Mr. McGahn asked me how he, Flynn, did, and I declined to give him an answer on that. <laughs> Jates then, Yates, Jarrett, God damn it, I, almost, I said Jates. Um, Jarrett, Jarrett, then says, Why didn't Yates tell McGahn the truth? that FBI agents felt Flynn had given honest answers because that would have ruined the canard she was spinning that Moscow would somehow try to blackmail Flynn over the purported lie that was no lie at all. The real answer there, again, is because the DOJ does not work for Donald Trump and does not work for the White House. And in this case, you have two different sides in which Don McGahn is on the White House side and Sally Yates is on the DOJ side. Mm. And the DOJ, in this case, because of the lie, may have to prosecute someone in the White House, in which case, as a lawyer, you don't give that sort of information to opposing counsel. (laughs) It's also delightfully dumb. It is. It very much is. Um, so he goes on with these, again, the, the, the snowball of inferences is picking up. All this stuff is combining, uh, you know, saying that she was trying to sabotage the Trump White House, all this sorts of stuff, and that uh, the damage done by Yates had accomplished its goal when Flynn resigned as the national security advisor amid mounting news reports of impropriety. <laughs> Reports, not speculations, like actual reports of real impropriety. Yeah, they didn't start with if. They really yeah, didn't start exactly. with if. Exactly. If Flynn did all this stuff, then it would be really bad, yes. But then, as proof that Flynn had been treated wrongly, he gives us these two statements. So I'm going to read these both. And these are from one is from, from or it's a summary of what Flynn said. And the other one is a trans, from the transcript of Comey's testimony. So he says, quote, He repeatedly insisted that he never told Congress that FBI agents who interviewed Flynn did not believe he had intentionally lied. So that is uh, television interviews of Comey. That is Jarrett's summary of what Comey said from various television interviews. Mm -hmm. Then this is from Comey's transcript. Director Comey testified to the committee that the agents, dot, 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 discerned no physical indications of deception. They didn't see any change in posture, in tone, in inflection, in eye contact. They saw nothing that indicated to them that he knew he was lying to them. If you take that reading, and we go with the argument Jarrett's been using, that you have to, which is true, you have to have intent to lie, and that the only way to show intent to lie. Body it's based language. on what these FBI agents... Yeah. yeah, apparently what he's saying is it's only body language. That's the only thing you could use to show intent to lie. Yeah. That's what Jared's getting down to here. So, uh, yeah, it's... And uh, d- did we figure out what that dot, dot, dot is? Because that seems important. I didn't well. bother to look it up. No. I, I really didn't bother to look it up because I just had enough there. No, I'm always, I'm always interested in what these people use ellipses for and what arguments they're taking out. Of I usually do when there's a, a quote with an ellipses, I usually do look it up, but I wasn't, I wasn't interested enough to look up that one. Uh, I, I dig through an entire congressional testimony. I didn't yeah. bother to look it That's up. That's fair enough. But he continues on. This is the end of this subsection, finally, uh, where he says, quote, The disinformation, false accusations, and wrongful persecution of Flynn invite another significant legal question. Who leaked Flynn's conversations to the press? Whoever did so committed a crime. (laughs) And then we get to the next subsection, which is delightfully titled, The Leakers Committed a Crime, Not Flynn. So again, at this point, the snowball of inferences has congealed 
Colt Flynn has not committed a crime. He has established that as a fact by now, as he puts out in that subtitle. But the leakers, the leakers have committed a crime. To which I would say, yeah, they have. The leaker, technically, they've leaked classified information. There's a whole long conversation we could get into about leakers and whether they should be prosecuted, whether people like Reality Winner, who definitely should not be in fucking prison, should be in prison. She shouldn't. should be out of fucking prison. And I hope when Biden gets into office, he grants clemency. I, yeah. I think you do need to have a punishment for leaking because we want to deter it generally because there is classified information we don't want getting out. Right. But I think you shouldn't be locking someone up uh, for extended periods of time for stuff like I think. Isn't, I, isn't there also a conversation to be had about how the, the government tends to overclassify things as well? I think. Yeah, that's more, also true. More things get classified than actually need to be classified. Also, a conversation to be had about how Glenn Greenwald fucked up and landed reality winner in jail. Also a conversation yeah. to be had about that, which I think people are more willing to have now that Glenn Greenwald has showed himself to be a true creep. Yep. Uh, plenty of stuff to talk about, but we don't really need to. Yes, technically they committed a crime. We can move on to the next subsection, which is titled Sessions mistakenly recused himself from Russian investigation. To which I would there say, should be a there. that there is should be a, cool. Yes, yes. And the argument he's going to lay out in this subsection is basically technically by the letter of the law because there wasn't a criminal investigation. He didn't have to recuse himself. And I would say to but that, isn't that things. the same as the judge thing where like to avoid the appearance of conflict of interest, he, yes. it is fine that this person recused themselves. Yes. Again, I will say Jeff Sessions, massive piece of shit, deserves all the criticism he gets. Was correct. Here. Did the right thing <laughs> yeah. this one time. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but again, it's, it's that thing. He lays out the law here, which is, uh, 28 CFR 45.2. That's the code of federal, federal regulations. And I won't read the whole thing out loud to you because you don't need to hear it. But basically they have, no one is allowed to participate in criminal investigations or prosecutions if they have a personal or political relationship with the subject of that investigation or prosecution. Mm -hmm. What Jarrett hinges his argument on here is that, well, Comey's testimony says it wasn't a criminal investigation at the time. It was only a counterintelligence investigation, to which I would say two things. One, uh, a counterintelligence investigation could very well turn into a criminal investigation, which a court may rule it's logical that someone should have to um, recuse himself from the counterintelligence investigation because it could turn into a criminal investigation. Yeah. But like you said earlier, it is also a good thing for someone to do so to avoid the possibility of issues arising from their involvement in the investigation. It's just good practice. And Jarrett spends this couple of pages just railing on Sessions for, again, betraying Donald Trump is the way he portrays it, as though he betrayed Donald Trump, as though his loyalty as the attorney general was to Donald Trump, not to the country. But I yeah. also like one little sure. thing from here that I picked up, where he, he cites Andrew McCarthy, uh, for, in some of his columns for the distinction on whether or not Sessions had to recuse himself. And I, I've heard Andrew McCarthy throughout this book. He's used that name a lot. He's someone that Jarrett seems to like. So I looked up Andrew McCarthy. Oh, no. Uh, he's a columnist for the National Review. Okay. You may not be surprised. Um, yep. and, and former assistant U.S. Attorney General for the Southern District of New York. That's a big deal. That's a big job. That's, that's nothing, not a small thing. Um, so he did have a very uh, important position. He's also, later in his career, said some things that weren't particularly great. Um, for example, he defended Sarah Palin's claim that the Affordable Care Act had death panels in it. Cool, 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 cool. He 
promoted the conspiracy theory that Bill Ayers wrote Obama's autobiography, Dreams from My Father. (laughs) They love that one. Oh, by the way, uh, what did you think of that thing I sent you about Dinesh's movie? Oh my God, we have to we have to watch Dinesh's next movie. We have to watch it now. Yeah, we don't have an option not to, right? We we watched the first one. I think we're huge Dinesh D'Souza fans at this point. We are Dinesh D'Souza fanboy. If I saw him in public, I would get a picture with him. I mean, I'd be flipping him (laughs) off in the picture, but I would get a picture with him. It'd be so amazing. Um, But yes, we definitely and we'll. Maybe we'll do it for patrons only, where we will watch uh, the new Dinesh D'Souza documentary. Um, we'll figure that out. But I think, I think that's something we definitely have to do. We don't have an option not to. <laughs> but he also uh, promoted the, the, again, conspiracy theory, that the Obama administration was promoting a Sharia agenda. Um, this, this guy's a lunatic. No. This guy's, it has nothing to do with what he wrote here, because it's just basic like first-year law student legal analysis. Um, which is equally as wrong as it is right, because, again, it hasn't been ruled on by a court, and courts could easily say what I said, which is that this investigation could turn into criminal, so it makes sense that the statute should apply in that case, where you should recuse, even though it's not technically a criminal prosecution. Um, But I do love the fact that he's constantly citing this conspiracy theorist nut. Uh, It's really great. It's really great stuff. Great. As an authority, as they always do. This is always what happens. Yep, yep. Oh, he also claimed uh, Kamal, Jamal Khashoggi uh, was an operative of the Muslim Brotherhood. That was oh, another cool, thing that, cool, that cool, McCarthy cool. did. Yep, 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 right. um, so the, again, it's just griping over Sessions, having recused himself, saying that Sessions betrayed Donald Trump, betrayed his trust, blah, blah, blah. There's not much there. Um, and uh, he says if Sessions hadn't recused himself, then Comey would have been investigated properly for his leaking and lying and all that stuff. And that gets us to the final subsection of the chapter, the firing of James Comey, which starts, James Comey should have been fired the day he held a very public news conference in July 2016, announcing his recommendation that Hillary Clinton not be criminally prosecuted for mishandling classified information and jeopardizing national security. And again, as we've already established in this book, through the snowball of inferences, Hillary Clinton was dead to rights, guilty, did everything that it's possible she could have done because... Because she might have, so Including obviously she did. Pouring bleach on her server. Oh uh, yes, as my parents know, bleaching <laughs> her servers. <laughs> I still love that. It's I still so love that. But basically, it, there's not much to say here. Comey, it might have been stupid for him to do those press conferences, right? The multiple ones that he did. Um, it wasn't anything approaching, you know, criminal. There was nothing wrong there, and he doesn't even in this chapter, which I'm disappointed in, get into. Comey giving his memos to Benjamin Wittes. He doesn't even get into that, which I'm so disappointed in, because that was what it sounded like he was going to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) But that was the whole leaking thing, right? Right, that was the leaking. In case you don't remember, uh, when Comey left, uh, he gave some some of his handwritten memos, which came um, after he left conversations with Donald Trump to members of the media. It labor came out that member of the media was Benjamin Wittes, who was a, a fantastic reporter who writes for Lawfare um, and Foreign Affairs. Uh, and I really love his work. He does some great stuff. Um, and those eventually, I think, I think Wittes, because Wittes was a personal friend of Comey, um, yeah. and Ben Wittes gave them to someone, I think, at the Washington Post, and that's how the information got out about Trump trying to pressure Comey in those meetings. Again, something Jarrett does not discuss mm, in this does chapter. Does not deal with that at all. Other than to say that the people in the media pretend it was all about him trying to end the Russia investigation when there's very clear evidence it was about Trump trying to end the Russia investigation. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And so demanding loyalty, lest we forget. Yeah. But then what he spends the most time talking about is the Rosenstein memo, which was laid out, you know, telling Trump to fire Comey. Great. Rod Rosenstein, also a piece of shit. Uh, he yep. did some good. Again, this is another one of those people. He did some good stuff in defending the Mueller investigation during the, the sessions time and when Trump was really trying hard to, to end it. Um, but he was also a piece of shit all along, right? We found out later that he was one of the people pushing hardest for uh, child separation at the border. So again, piece of shit. Um, I don't care what he has to say. Uh, it's the same stuff we all could have come to when we say, yeah, it was a bad idea to fucking do those press conferences, Comey. We all fucking agree with that. Yeah, just stop, stop talking to the press at all, dude. Like, and yeah. again, I'm really disappointed he doesn't have very much to say about Comey in here because I thought I thought this was going to be hard hitting. He He's going to get to the eventually. core of it. Maybe he spent more time talking about Sally Yates than he did about Comey, to be honest. But that's and that's it. It's a very short Comey section. It's like two and a half pages. Um, but that's the end of the chapter. So as I always do, I'll read the final paragraph, which is follows: "Quote." Almost immediately, demands for impeachment of President Trump were heard in the corridors of Congress. This is after the firing. The liberal media were crazed with excitement over the prospect that the president had obstructed justice in trying to block the Russian investigation. In truth and in law, neither scenarios were remotely rational. Well, they were in fact true. He did try and obstruct the investigation. <laughs> I don't I don't even need to spend time arguing with Jared. No, I mean point. even Muller says it, but then yeah. doesn't I mean he doesn't he gets right he walks us right up to the line and then is like, Oh, we'll let you go over the line yourselves. And then Congress was like, nothing to see here. But Benedict, didn't you read Barr's memo? No. no collusion, no obstruction, man. That's true, yeah. That we was, all that know was the that. whole memo, wasn't it, actually? That was the whole memo. The whole yeah. memo. So, Benedict, that's it for this chapter. How are you feeling? We're only two away from the end. Of Thanks, I hated it. <laughs> I know. You always do. No, but, I, uh, I mean, I did. I, like, some of ben, ben Shapiro's chapters I find genuinely enjoyable because they make me think, at least, of, like, this seems wrong, but why is it wrong? Whereas yes. this is just like, no. Like, this is just not what happened. I agree. I mean, uh, I I think that this book is much less enjoyable than, enjoyable than Ben Shapiro. Um, but I do think it provides, because like I said, Jared is not somebody who's creating ideas. He's someone who's taking them from other places and just putting them in his stuff. Putting them in I a think, legal, legal spin, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's nice to get an idea that's just a... Uh, like a big summary of everything the right is saying about all this stuff and how they're all fucking wrong. I think that's what's nice about this book. Looking back, now that we're past all this, the Mueller investigation is done. Um, we're all past, and Trump is going to be out of office in two months. I think it's nice to look back and see, well, what did they think at the time? What what excuses did they have? And yeah. I think we all sort of got them when this was going on, but it's nice to it's nice to to sit down and reminisce over over a nice nice beverage a nice hot beverage yeah it's always fun to see these like snapshots of history you know first drafts of history whatever you want to call it i i think in the future we may have to do for for future books we may do some that are farther back in the past there may be some we do that are 10 15 years old because there's some some foundational texts out there yeah foundational individuals the, the kind of arguments were around like the saturday night massacre for example at the time from people that thought nixon shouldn't have resigned yeah uh, we sure might have to exist. look into it we yeah, might have I'm to sure, look into I'm it i'm sure they exist i just don't know but anyways that's it 
Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. That's $4 a month for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Savi Aquino, Glaurung the Deceiver, Danielle, Terrified will be pecked to death by lame ducks, Becky Scott, you only got, you have to change that name in two months. In two months, you have to change that name. Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Demick, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. Thank you. That's all for this week's show. Till next time, peace was never an option. Goodbye. Goodbye. Grammar the Book Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com. <laughs>